You can be seated and let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the truth of those words. And we, we pray, Lord, that you would come quickly. As you've promised that you would do, that you would take us home to be with you forever. And Lord, in the meantime, continue to teach us what it means to trust in you. To have uh, the peace that passes understanding. And guide us in that, Lord, as we consider uh, that fruit of your spirit this morning. Uh, tune our hearts, Lord, to sing your grace. We pray in your name. Amen. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Uh, my name is Craig Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have to confess, I am part of the Dad Joke Support Group. In fact, I heard one this morning. What makes a joke a dad joke? Well, it's when the punchline becomes apparent. <laughs> it's not mine, someone else's. Thank you for that. I really like that one. And thank you for forgiving me for telling me that. And if you're a child here, you have a father, please laugh at his jokes, at least today. He will appreciate it. We're in the third week of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you've been using the guide that we've made. Elson and the team has made in children's ministry for all different ages in your family. hope you've been using that. And uh, I was thinking as we're looking at peace today, if, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, some of the fruit, like love, are fruit that you specifically express to other people. That's how you live out that fruit, by expressing it to one another. But other fruit, like peace, aren't necessarily a fruit that you first of all express. Rather, it's something that you long for inside and you want to experience deep inside. And people long for that inner quality of peace. And I remember as I was growing up in the era that I was in, uh, peace was a common word. People would often say, peace man, yeah, and they'd hold up the peace sign. Or we had this phrase that went around in high school, peace love and Bobby Sherman. I don't know if anybody remembers that. The Eagles sang about a peaceful, easy feeling. People talked about peace all the time. And the idea was that peace was the absence of something whether it's the absence of authority or the absence of rules or absence of hard times or bad feelings, the absence of war. And it continues today. We want the absence of anxiety. We saw the great turnout we had a couple years ago when we had an anxiety talk here. People want the absence or the freedom from worry or concern. And we, we strive for that. But the problem is that that's not a great definition of peace because we can't rid this world of those kinds of things that deprive us of peace. We're going to have those things because we're in a sinful, broken, fallen world. And James even says it. He says, they've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And what we learn in Scripture is this. Peace is not the absence of something. Peace is the presence of someone. Peace is the presence of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians that Jesus is our peace, and he came and he preached peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, and all those fruit come together, and really love kind of binds them all together. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this, that love is the key, and as we looked at last week, joy is love singing, and peace is love resting, resting in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to focus on three significant words and look at three passages and I encourage you, if, if you're a child and you have that sermon outline, write down these three words. I'm going to try to define them for you and help you understand them because they're really significant words that help us understand peace better. 
and we're going to look at three different passages and see what peace means through Scripture. And our, our first point, if you're looking at a sermon outline, first of all, peace is being united with Jesus. Peace is being united with Jesus. And our first word is union. And Jesus said this in John 16, 33, after he'd spoken with his disciples in the upper room and tried to comfort them. And right before his prayer, he says in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And when Jesus says in me, or when Paul says in Christ, that's a way of describing how we're united with Christ, how we have union with Jesus. And what does that word union mean? Well, the first thought that comes to my mind is, is marriage, particularly the marriage ceremony. A wedding is often described as, as a union of man and wife in holy matrimony. People are joined together, they have a common purpose. And even often in weddings, we have something uh, visual that illustrates that union used to be unity candles where each one would take a candle that's lit and light the middle one. Uh, these days it might be unity sand or a unity tree, but something that's a visual expression of two people being united together as one. Or think about it this way. Uh, I'm the youngest of four boys. We lived in the Wyzetta Plymouth area for a long time, so all of us went through the same schools together. And often I had the same teachers that my older brothers had, which was a good thing. My union with us, with them, and last name was good. I remember Mr. Hesby, I think he was my seventh or eighth grade math teacher, uh, first day of class, he said, oh, you're, you're a Johnson. I remember your brother, Kevin, he was very good at math. And that was good for me, because that reputation, that union with the Johnson name uh, bode well for me, and he had a good opinion of me. And so just as that name Johnson was good for me, that name Christian is good for us, if we trusted in Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says here at the end of this verse, take heart, I have overcome the world, that means something to us. is isn't something that just Jesus did on his own. He did that for us and we're united with him and what he's done. In this world, we're going to have trouble, we're going to have difficulty, we're going to have it all the time. And Jesus understood that. We can't get away from it. But when we're united with Jesus by faith, what's true of Jesus is true of us. When Jesus died, he took his sins to death with him. When, Jerry, when Jesus was buried, my sins went to the grave with him. When Jesus rose from the dead, you and I who have trusted in Christ, we rise to new life as well when we believe in him. When Jesus defeated the devil and overcame the world, so did I and so did you. As Jesus is raised up and seated at the right hand of God, we're there too, as Paul says in Colossians. We're seated there with him at the right hand of God. When Jesus took God's anger, his wrath directed towards me upon himself, I was declared not guilty in God's court of law. And that's the peace we most need. That's the peace everyone needs, peace with God. Paul says it in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is the result of God's presence with me and in me. I'm now in Christ. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He didn't, doesn't see my fallenness and my brokenness and my sin, but he sees Jesus. And nothing can separate us from that. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's peace. 
Paul says in Romans 8, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God and the peace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's eternal, it's inseparable, it's unchangeable. So Jesus says it this way, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace is being united with Jesus. Secondly, peace with others begins in drawing near to Jesus. And our word, kids, if you're writing it down, our word here is communion. And if you turn over to James 4, uh, James is probably one of the best passages here, James 4, in talking about conflict and what conflict has to do with peace and what peace has to do with conflict. Let's look at first just verses 7 through 8, the first half of verse 8, and then we'll go back to verses 1 through 3 in James chapter 4. But in James 4, beginning in verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Union isn't the only thing that we have with Jesus. We also have communion with him. Our union with Christ gives us status with him, and that doesn't change or fluctuate. We're always united with Jesus, no matter what happens. But our communion with God can change. It can fluctuate. We can draw nearer to God, and we can draw farther away from him. And this word, communion, you see the end of that word is the word union with a prefix on it. It's kind of a, a supercharged version of union. It's, it's with union, being together with. And communion is the difference between just knowing someone's name and hanging out with them and eating a meal with them and even being related to them. Union really establishes our relationship. Communion is the communication we have with one another in that relationship. And a man named Robert Boyd Munger a long time ago illustrated this well when he wrote this little booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home. And what he talks about in that booklet is is picturing uh, your spiritual life, your heart and your mind as an, an actual home that you invite Jesus to live in with you. And so Jesus hangs out with you in your study. He sits with you in the living room and watches TV with you. He has breakfast and lunch and dinner with you in your kitchen. He has a room in your house. And Jesus even cares about that hall closet that's locked, and as he walks walks by it each day, it it smells and it stinks. And Jesus wants to say to you, hey, I'd like the key to that closet. I want to clean that out because he knows that that's our secret sins and that's those things that we're hiding from everyone else, uh, but we can't hide from God. And Jesus even wants access there uh, to help us to live free from those sins and those things that we struggle with. And Jesus wants to have communion with us. He wants to have a close relationship with us. And we do that, like with any other relationship, by spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus is is talking to him in prayer and it's listening to him, listening to his words because Jesus speaks to us every day through his word if we spend time in it. It's worshiping him, both uh, individually and corporately. In fact, the church is often called the communion of saints. And so we have fellowship with one another because we're related to Jesus. 
And the importance of gathering together is emphasized by that word, that we need to be together as believers to fellowship, not with Jesus, but also with one another, because that spurs our relationship with him. And that draws us towards him and not away from him. So when James writes here, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's saying, hey, don't walk towards the enemy because we can only go one or two ways in our life. We're never static. We never stay in one place. We're either walking towards Jesus or we're walking away from him and towards our enemy, the devil. We're either resisting him and drawing near to God or we're resisting God and drawing near to sin and hell and, and the world and Satan. And so communion with God and peace with God has a great deal to do with conflict. Let's look back up at the start of this chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, because this really illustrates it, and James really describes it well here. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And you see that word there, that word passion or that desire or the word coveting are all illustrating what goes on in our mind and heart. Because conflict doesn't first of all start between me and someone else. It first of all starts with me in my heart and a conflict between what God wants and what I want. And really that word passion or desire there is the word over desire. It's desiring something too much that we put it in place of or instead of our love and passion for Jesus. Because God gives us desires. We, we need to desire food to eat. We need to desire water to drink. We need to desire to breathe and to exercise. Those things are good for us. But when good things become ultimate things, they become more important than Jesus. And we have this battle in our mind and heart that expresses itself in our battle with other people, wanting what we want more than what God wants and what's good for them. In order to give you examples for this, I need some help. We've got our, our kids in here today. Are there any elementary school kids today in this service? Raise your hand if you're in elementary school. And if you have a brother or a sister, keep your hand up because I want you to think about this. What do you fight about the most with your brother or your sister? Adults, you can't answer it, I know, even though you can, but I want the kids to. Raise your hand. Allison's got a microphone. She's going to come around and get three or four responses. What do you fight about the most with your brother or your sister? Raise your hand really high. Mom and dad can probably help you. What you're going to watch on TV, yes, that never happened in my home. I always got what I wanted. What else? Sharing your toys, yes, big one. That was mentioned in first service too. We fight about who is playing on the phone. 
Who's playing on the phone? Oh, we didn't have that in my day. Fight about toys, that's in a big one too. One, one more, anybody else? Oh, I see some hands here in the middle. You're making Allison run around a little bit here. It's good for her, it builds character. Everything. Everything, there we go. That's, that's the best answer there. Thank you, thank you Allison, thanks kids. As, as adults, we still fight about things, the things just change, but it's desires in us, something that we want, that we'll do anything we can to get. And these things become more important than God, and we, we uh, forsake becoming peacemakers, and we become peacebreakers or peace fakers. I've got this diagram I want you to see. It's called the slippery slope of conflict. Ken Sandy put this together at Peacemaker Ministries. He's written the book, The Peacemaker, Peacemaking for Families, and he's got this curriculum for kids as well as adults. And this diagram really illustrates what we're talking about. On the right-hand side in the, in the triangle on the right, we have our attack response or peace breaking. When we want something, sometimes we attack, just like James says here. We fight we quarrel, maybe we gossip, we put the other person down, we call them names. I was very good at calling my brother's names. I, I made up some, some great ones, I can still remember it. But we attack to get what we want and we, we break peace. In the left-handed uh, triangle, sometimes we escape, we, we peace fake. We run away from issues that we should address. And so we, we blame other people, we deny that this is a problem, and adults, we do this probably even more than kids do. We, we avoid some things that we need to address. But in the middle triangle, we have working it out, and that's peacemaking. And God calls us to be peacemakers. He says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And what does peacemaking look like? Well, sometimes peacemaking looks like just letting something go. Scripture talks about that. If you, if you can forgive that person and, and let it go, you can. That's not running away from it. That's overlooking an offense. Sometimes that means talking about it. James has this verse, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What a great verse for peacemaking and addressing conflict. Listening to the other person and hearing their perspective. Sometimes it means getting help from someone else bringing somebody else, kids, maybe that's your parents, bringing them into the, the conflict. If you can't win, you especially need to do that, right? But it's, it's bringing someone else in to help you. So when we draw near to God, this is the connection, when we draw near to God, our desires become his desires, and his desires become our desires. And so what we want, we want to glorify him, not just to get what we want. So we think about the other person before ourselves. And scripture talks about that. And we often avoid conflict because we think it's bad, but conflict does good in our lives. We can glorify God by con in conflict by trusting and obeying and imitating him. We can serve other people in conflict. Sometimes it means bearing others' burdens. Sometimes it means talking to them and speaking the truth in love. And we can grow to be Christ-like in conflict. Because most of us naturally try to escape or attack and we don't necessarily 
naturally try to work it out, but that's where peace in Christ comes from. Let me just give you four G's that Ken Sandy talks about that are really helpful in thinking about conflict. The first G, and kids, you can write this down, first G is glorify God. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, even in working out things with other people. Is your first priority to glorify God or is it first priority to get what you want? Glorify God in conflict. The second G is get. Get the log out of your own eye. Jesus says this, and I'll exaggerate. Jesus says, who first takes the speck out of the other person's eye without taking the sequoia out of his own eye? In conflict, there's often something that we have done that's contributed to it, and we need to look at ourselves, and if there's something that we need to confess, that I need to confess, then I need to confess it. I need to come to that other person and first take the log out of my own eye. The third G is gently, gently restore. So go to that person and confess that sin and and strive to restore that relationship with the other person and work it out. And finally, the last G is go. Go and be reconciled. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Don't let it fester. Don't let it build. But forgive as God has forgiven you. That's how we have communion with others by first of all having communion with Jesus and drawing near to him. Finally, thirdly, peace is trusting Jesus. And our last word is is trust. Isaiah writes this, probably one of my favorite verses on dealing with anxiety and having peace. Isaiah says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There's an internal struggle in our mind and heart for peace. We see what's going on and, and we let circumstances overcome us. Uh, A pastor I knew once said, what are you doing under your circumstances? And we let circumstances dominate us and we go under them instead of trusting God and and working through our mind and heart and preaching uh, the gospel to ourselves. And Isaiah says this, you keep him in perfect peace, a really emphasis in, in Hebrew is repeating the word, you keep him in peace, peace. So he has the word peace there twice to emphasize perfect peace whose mind, your outlook, your your way of life, your mindset is on God. And it's it's steadfast, who stayed on you. That, That mindset is steadfast. Even if everything else seems to be tumbling around you, trust that God is good because he is and trust in his promises. You keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We have to exercise that trust in him. And we have to focus our mind on him and not allow other things to dissuade us from trusting him. Uh, Sarah Zilstra and Colin Hansen have written a book, Gospel Bound, and they they talk about two ways that we can address anxiety that's on the rise in our culture. And let me just leave you lastly with these two thoughts. First of all, think big and then think small. First, think big. David in Psalm 78 says, that we are to remember the mighty deeds of God and his works so that we can hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commands. Think about the great and amazing and mighty things that God has done throughout scripture, from creation to saving the world in the ark with Noah to saving the Israelites by parting the Red Sea and having them walk across on dry ground, all the way through 
Jesus Christ, the greatest thing that God has ever done. Remember those great and awesome and big things that God has done so that you can hope in him. Because the same God who has done that, the same resurrection power that worked on Jesus is working in your life as well and my life. So think big. But also think small. Look around at those things, those small, maybe uh, unnoticeable things, unless you recognize them, that God is doing today right around you. I noticed one this last Wednesday. My my cousin's uh, wife, her father, died, and the funeral was here in Fargo. And so Chris... As, as their only child, as their daughter, was going to share at the funeral, which would really be difficult to do, uh, to say some thoughts at the service for your parent who's just passed away. And she said that in the time that we had uh, before the funeral with the family, when the pastor prayed with us, she just experienced this tremendous peace that came over her that enabled her to be able to share in the service like she probably never would have been able to before if she hadn't trusted in God's peace. And God worked in that situation. Notice those things. Notice those small little things that God has done in your life, in you or in people around you, and and trust him and experience his peace through that. Our one thing today is just one short sentence and it kind of brings everything together. Intentionally draw near to Jesus regularly this week so that you can grow in your trust in him. Plan for times where you can spend with Jesus and move towards Jesus whether it's prayer or scripture or worship or just time listening to God, draw near to him regularly so that you can grow in your trust in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your peace, your great peace that passes understanding. Help us to grow in it through our trust in you, through being closer to you, to draw near to you and to fight against the world and the enemy who tries to bring us down and take away this peace. Help us to be strengthened by it and encouraged by it today, Lord, we ask in your name. Amen.